0: Hello and welcome to the Raw Fork podcast. I'm your host,
1: Dr. Marina Buksov, and I'm a functional medicine pharmacist in New York, as well as an integrative health coach and clinical herbalist. I'm pleased to go into season three of this podcast and continue to bring on other holistic minded pharmacists and healthcare professionals to the show. I'm constantly inspired by my guests and their stories and love sharing their points of view
0: with you all. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Raw Fork Podcast. I had a captivating conversation this week with Dr. Donna Mazzola. She shared her unique approach balancing science and natural medicine in light of her personal journey with autoimmune disease. Dr. Donna Mazzola is a pharmacist specializing in functional medicine and human nutrition. Dr. Mazzola has worked in many different areas of pharmacy and realized her true passion was in overall health and wellness. This passion became an obsession as her learnings conflicted with her core beliefs. Conventional medicine did not have all the answers and she recognized the importance of balance with nutrition and medicine through her own struggles with Hashimoto's. She currently runs a blog, the Dr. Immune Girl blog, to share reputable scientific information related to autoimmune disorders. Dr. Mazzola's mission is to help others identify the root cause of disease and create the balance between nutrition and medicine. Dr. Mazzola received a doctorate of pharmacy from Ferris State University in 2006 and went on to complete a residency at the Detroit Medical Center. Through her training, she further obtained a board certification in geriatric pharmacy. Additionally, in 2015, she graduated with her master's in business administration from Central Michigan University. And recently in 2020, she graduated from the University of Western States with a master's of science in human nutrition and functional medicine. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Mazzola to the show.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Raw Work Podcast. I am super excited today. I have with me Dr. Donna Mazzola and she is an autoimmune specialist and functional medicine pharmacist. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, excited to be here today. Yeah, um, super, super, you know, excited about what we'll talk about today. And uh, why don't you just start with, in your own words, talking about where you grew up and um, where and why you went to pharmacy school.
2: Yeah, so um, actually I was born and raised in the Detroit area. Um, my parents immigrated over here. There was a lot of opportunity in Detroit with Motor City. Um, so born here and never left. And honestly, I love it. I'm, you know, people who are from Detroit know that you just just a sense of pride <laughs> and you're proud to be here from here. Um, so I, why I went to pharmacy school. Well, to be honest, my, my dad is a pharmacist. Um, he actually, when he came to this country, he didn't speak in English and he went back to pharmacy school at the age of 36 and graduated when he was 40. So he's actually, wow. been yeah. To You know, I, I mean, obviously education is a big deal um, for me and for my family. Um, and, you know, I, chose to follow in my father's footsteps um, and kind of pursue that same career. I mean, I was good at chemistry, loved it. I was interested in it. Um, So that aligned as well. Um, And so, and honestly, there's just so many career opportunities within pharmacy. I think that that's something that's overlooked, that it's not just being in a retail setting, that there's so much more beyond that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us going into it um, kind of like are exploring what would be our ideal setting. So um, what did you feel like in pharmacy school? Like what what was your, um, what did you like? Maybe what didn't you like about pharmacy school as you were going through it? And what career paths um, did you think you were going into? And then what did you do after graduating?
2: Yeah, so pharmacy school, um, You know, obviously the first two years, you're drowning in the books, Um, but then, you know, you get to third and fourth year and you have a little bit more clinical exposure. And I think at that time is when I realized that the ambulatory care or outpatient setting was really what interested me. Um, Quite honestly, I hated inpatient Um, and a lot of it, not that it wasn't interesting. And I learned a lot and I saw some really cool cases, but I couldn't get past the fact that a patient would come in with one problem, but they had 10 other ones and we just kind of patched up that one issue and sent them out so that they could just follow up with their primary care. But we never knew if they followed up. We never knew what happened with them. Like there was no transitions of care that occurred and there was no connecting the dots. So that just didn't sit well with me. Um, So I wanted to be on the other side of it in the outpatient setting um, so actually after pharmacy school, I graduated and worked retail for about nine months. Um, but during that time, I realized that I, you know, I, I need to do more. I want to do more. Um, I actually went through an accelerated program, so I com- finished in August. So it was kind of off the, you know, kind of timing to start a residency, but I knew that I still wanted to pursue that route. And so I, um, I applied for residencies and ended up completing a residency, a PGY1 residency at the Detroit Medical Center. Um, And it was, um, you know, a general practice residency, but I was able to tailor half of my rotations to be focused in ambulatory care, where I was able to rotate through Coumadin clinics and HIV clinics and geriatrics clinics, and so diabetes clinics. So I kind of got the gamut of it and I loved it. Um, And so when I completed that, I joined um, with the Henry Ford Health System um, medication therapy management pharmacy team. And that was in 2008. So they had just started MTM, and MTM was just beginning. A lot of the rules for Medicare around it were just starting. I mean, it started in 2006, actually. Um, and so I got to join in on that, right, as they were creating it, um, mm-hmm. being part of collaborative practice agreements. We were managing patients with cholesterol and diabetes, um, asthma, we had several, so we replaced them clinics and, and managed those patients for those family medicine and internal medicine doctors. So it was great, it was tons of fun. Um, but I didn't like the aspect of it that, you know, these patients, Yes, they, they enrolled because they wanted to, right? So nothing is forced. It's optional. Um, however, the fact that everything was so focused on medication, I mean, you know, I was dealing with diabetics who I realized had no idea what a carbohydrate was or um, somebody with high cholesterol that says, well, I'm taking a pill so I can eat what I want. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? So those are all the things that were just so eye-opening to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's something's not right here, you know, like this is not the focus. And to realize that these people have had these diseases for so many years and they've progressed and no one has ever had that kind of conversation with them. Um, That's kind of what segued me to start to read more and pursue, you know, other areas of, I guess what you would call medicine, but really of wellness and just overall care and nutrition. Um, And so it's kind of, took me down a different path of just learning, but, you know, I maintained working. I I stayed there for about eight years and I've dabbled in the insurance side of it and the inpatient side, the ambulatory side. So I've kind of seen all the areas of pharmacy where you could work. Um, And, you know, it kind of led me down just this passion more so than anything. That's where, you know, Dr. Autoimmune girl is. Um, And so I actually went back to school to get a Master's in nutrition back in 2011, but then I got a promotion, and so I was like, okay, let me pause and go get my MBA. So I did that for two years, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going back to school. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm done. You know, this is this was way too much. You know, and I had a little one at home at the same time, but then in 2015. I was actually diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease. And that's what took me right back to square one, because I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that I got diagnosed with autoimmune disease where I truly did eat healthy. I exercised at least from what I thought I was maintaining this healthy lifestyle. So how could I get an autoimmune disease like that? just baffled me and that's nothing we ever learned about in pharmacy school like you know it's just yep you're predisposed to it so you're going to get it But, but that's not really how it works you know so I actually then was like you know I started reading around on the internet finding all kinds of random information I didn't know what I could trust what I couldn't trust so I went back to school I was like you know what I'll just go learn it for myself you know and I'll learn how to take care of myself and treat myself. And as I'm doing that, I will share my learning so that other people can feel empowered to do the same. Um, and so that's when I embarked on, uh, pursuing a master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. So that's finally I graduated this past summer with that degree. Um, as I started that, thank you. So as I, as I went, to pursue that degree. That's when I started my blog and my page Mm -hmm. uh, where I share my information.
1: Yeah, awesome. That's such a great page. Um, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this disease? Like what it affects and um, what was your biggest takeaway from school? And um, is this something that you were able to heal yourself or is this an ongoing process?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, all um, autoimmune diseases can be an ongoing process. They are an ongoing process. Um, And it's not that just because your genetics say so that then that's the end-all be-all. A lot of times when you're actually reached a diagnosis, though, it's kind of too late to go back. So there's been, with Hashimoto specifically, there's been enough damage done to the gland that... um, you know, it, you most likely will need a medication to kind of support the um, production of hormones, right? So you're supplementing with some, and you may have some residual um, effect from your actual thyroid gland. Um, But, you know, what I found is that diet and nutrition and exposure to toxins, um, just, environmental factors in general that can impact hormones, disrupt hormones, those all play a role. So it's not just to say, okay, I got this disease. I'm going to take this thyroid hormone replacement and I'll be fine. I'll feel so much better because so many patients that I talk to have said, you know, I've started on meds, but I, I feel the same. I don't feel anything different. Um, you know, I don't think it's working, whatever it may be. Um, but the reality of it, like you got to consider nutrient deficiencies, which so many Americans are, um, or, you know, considering the standard American diet, which is highly processed, high in sugars, um, those all impact not only the development of autoimmune disease, but the progression of it. Um, and I'm talking now in general, just not even beyond Hashimoto's, but they're all all the same. They all kind of play that same role. Um, but you can pull your disease back, and a lot of people say, pull it back into remission, where really where you're controlling the inflammatory process um, so that you delay that progression. That's the end goal, right? So like, if you're going to live to 90, do you want to be on the maximum dose today when you have this many years left to live? Like, what what are you going to do then? So if we can delay that progression, maintain ourselves on the least possible effective dose, control you know, our diet and Our environmental exposures and factors, then yes, you will feel better, and you'll delay that. You you almost you know, yes, there's flare-ups here and there, but you'll almost you know forget you have that disease, and it just becomes part of a lifestyle. So that's that's the end goal with that. But you know, with my learnings in school, I mean, I learned so much more that supplements what I learned and what I know from pharmacy school, Um, and so that's kind of my stance is. Not to say that it's functional or alternative medicine 100% or that it's conventional 100%, that there's a balance and that we have to create that balance and that you can use conventional medicine, but you can support it. They support each other really, Um, you know, and considering all those functional medicine facets that I talked about. And when you, when you balance the two, you actually, you know, end up with a much more positive result in the end rather than trying to do extreme one way or the other
1: yeah that's such a good point because sometimes i think we are taught to be polarized in our thinking and just like either be pro one thing and then totally condemn the other thing Uh, But if you learn to kind of take the positives and the negatives, the pros and cons of each side, you can actually come to a really nice balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's that's my ultimate,
2: um, you know, goal of it. Because I I mean, I have, you know, other followers or friends, you know, that I've connected with, and they're very one sided about it. Um, But that's, that's not my outlook on it. I think there's a place for both. Um, And we just have to learn how to use the best of both worlds. And, And if we can do that, then, you know, we, you know, it makes things so much easier and, you know, leads you down, you know, positive outcomes, right? A road of positive outcomes.
1: Yeah. I think what you said before is really important too, about building habits and consistency and Having that be part of a lifestyle. So, to have a healthy life, um, you need to develop certain habits, certain diets, um, certain, you know, decrease exposure to toxins when possible, and to kind of like have that be your your mindset that this is, this is the stuff you can control. So this is the stuff you control. And then the stuff that's outside of your control, um, you know, you either have to supplement with something, whether it's a pharmaceutical or not. um, And then like, that's how you develop health. Like it's an active and ongoing process. It's not a, you know, here's your solution and the magic pill, and now your problems go away. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that.
0: And I, and
2: I will add to that is that even when you think you have all the answers, so I went to school I learned all this, you know, I still go through periods where I lose control of my disease and where I can feel it. And I have experienced different side effects. And even at those times where I'm like, I'm doing everything right. Like what went wrong? And it, it's frustrating, but then it takes you down this new path of discovery to try to figure out what happened, what went wrong. And so it's, it's ongoing. Um, but you know, as you said, is maintaining that healthy lifestyle will, you know, probably eight times out of 10, I say like 80% of the time, you know, keep things moving the right way. Um, but you know, those things can happen and, and
1: we, we just
2: unfortunately don't know everything, right. We're continuously learning.
1: Yeah. And you know, something else you mentioned about using conventional medicine. Um, it's like you want to use the least lowest effective dose, right? You don't want to max out your dose. So now you don't have anywhere to like progress to, like you said, you don't have a step B or an option B to look forward to you, you're just like completely exhausting all your options and hoping for the best in option A. And that's doesn't always work. You need you need like a backup plan, too. So um, sometimes I think um, we need to remember that, like, there is a baseline pyramid, you know, and like we do all this stuff in, in the base in the foundation. And then like we build our way up to see, like, what is the least effective, you know, dose of X, Y and Z to keep you overall feeling healthy And um, not exhausting all, you know, all our eggs, not putting all our eggs in one box box, and not exhaust all our options all at once, but kind of build that foundation and um, have a plan um, that you step through. And just because you're maybe at step two doesn't mean you forget about all the stuff in step one. You're (laughs) continuously doing all the stuff in step one and then like you're adding things on top of that. And I think that's sometimes when when we're patients or practitioners, like we don't focus on the, on the low, lower hanging fruit and we just like tend to skip them. Or um, once we are past that stage, we like skip over them rather than emphasizing the need to always be on those.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, And it's, it's, it's process. It's not going to happen overnight, you know? So Um, That's another thing that I think I've learned too, through the years is that there's not like a magic diet that's going to turn things around overnight or a magic pill. There's not, you know, you're going to remove all toxic things in your home and think it's going to turn things around. It takes time. And um, you know, people are like, Oh, I can't do all that. I mean, i been at this for five years and still haven't gotten to exactly where I want to be with everything, you know? So it, it takes time and it's a change, but it's something that almost you have to just decide you want to commit to. Um, and when you make that commitment, you know, you just stick to it and build upon it. And, and in time it comes. And I feel like once you start to feel better, you want to continue to do more and build upon that, those habits and that lifestyle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, like you mentioned before, um, you know, it does come, it seems like a lot of things to do and a lot of steps and like a lot of work. So sometimes it may be just a little bit easier to go to that supplement or that pharmaceutical, and it just comes to that choice. And I don't think there should be judgment behind it. It's just, um like, what is going to make you the happiest and healthiest? Is it like doing all the work and driving yourself crazy? Is it just taking the least effective dose of something? You know, you kind of have to decide for yourself, what is a good balance for you personally, um, that you will feel good in your body with your decisions and your outcomes?
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and what's funny is I talk to other people, and they're like, you know, people who are set in their ways that no, it has to be, you know, functional medicine is terrible. And, you know, we need to focus on all these alternative ways. Um, But the reality is, and from my experience, having done MTM and worked in retail and just communicating with patients is that people might want to try alternative methods or lifestyle changes or diet, but they also still want that pill. And that's okay. And so you have to meet people halfway. And so anybody being approached from an extreme, um, you know, coming at somebody from an extreme approach is not going to lead to success. And so, you know, making those small changes while still kind of holding on to your pharmaceutical is okay. Um, You know, it's like a, it's like that, that crutch that people have and they want. And maybe at some point, then yes, we realize, okay, I've lost the switch weight, I've done X, Y, Z, I can either get off certain things, I can lower doses, like that's the goal. And so to try to go at it from an extreme perspective and 100% never leads to success. That's that's what I found in clinical practice and personally, even with myself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's always like nice to have that one step forward that you can take, but not overwhelm yourself with like all these other things that you're you've been missing out on and like start to blame yourself and doubt things and then just give up in frustration. So it's nice to have like a support system and a plan and then just take it one step at a time to the plan. Right. So Um, I know you mentioned overall environmental toxicity. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that affects our immune function and autoimmune uh, processes? And also what do you think would be a possible solution that we can think about globally and personally? Yeah,
2: so environmental factors are a huge problem. and we talk about, and some of it we, we can't control. So if I just talk about the air that we breathe, um, you know, the water contamination, um, the soil that our food is grown in, um, you know, even if it says organic, like how how organic is it, and is it being grown next to crop that's not organic, and therefore. Those chemicals are seeping through the soil and then in through the plant and through our our produce. So that's just looking at the outside. I mean, then you have to consider the chemicals that are put in processed foods, the colorings that are used in candy or cereals or whatever it may be to attract kids to want to eat it. Um, You think about your laundry detergents, you know, shampoos, so personal care products, you know, that you're putting on your skin that's seeping through. I mean, so the exposure to toxins is,
0: is unreal.
2: I mean, what the amount that we're seeing and what is the impact of that? You know, that's the real question. And I mean, so many of these toxins are hormone disrupting chemicals. And so, you know, how, your your body's hormones are like the messenger. They're like the communicator. They communicate with each other. Um, and when there's a disruption in that pathway, then, then you have, you know, that communication process it now is broken, right? And so um, when you have chemicals that maybe, like, for instance, that may act like estrogens, right? And so you So your body thinks you have this overabundance of estrogen, but it's not real estrogen. It's just chemicals that are attaching to your receptors. And then now you have all this estrogen in the blood. So you're getting all these symptoms of too much estrogen. And that's just one example. Um, But like our hormone pathways are all intertwined and interconnected. And even if you think about your thyroid function and the amount of people that have thyroid disorders you have to question, like, what what is the impact of all this environmental toxicity that we're exposed to? Because it has a direct impact on our hormones. Um, And so, yeah, it's like, how do you control it? How do you, you know, because some of it you can't control and some of it you can. And I think the focus has to be on the actual burden of toxicity. So, you know, your body is amazing, quite honestly, and its ability to detoxify what's put into it and eliminate, um, you know, it's powerful and it has that ability to do it. But the question is, how do you limit the exposure as much as you can? So control what you can control so that your body can control what you can't control. That makes sense. So, you know, your liver is going to detoxify. It has phase one metabolism, phase two metabolism, and then it has elimination. And so, eating, you know, ensuring you have, you know, your adequate nutrient intakes, B vitamins, um, you know, making sure that you're taking all, you're getting nutrients, number one, from food. If you can't, even through supplementation, it's not a bad thing um, to make sure that you're boosting the your body's ability to actually metabolize. And then eating the rainbow, I always say, eat the rainbow, because that's ensuring that you have all those phytonutrients to be able to attached to all those toxins that have been broken down and then get rid of them and then making sure that you're drinking enough water that you're actually going to the bathroom every day because if you're not what's gonna happen like you know people don't want to talk about pooping but you know let's talk about it because if you're not (laughs) going all of that hard work that you've done is just recirculating into your body and so what I've got when I hear people tell me that they oh I don't I go to the bathroom once every three days I about fall out of my chair because I'm like oh my gosh can you imagine that's waste. That's waste that just gets recirculated into your body. And like, then now that toxin exposure builds up. So it's the burden, right? So you want to control what you can by utilizing clean skincare, by ensuring you have a water filter, by buying organic. Um, so like you kind of find those things that you can control. Yes, we can't control pollution, um, you know, the, the air that we're breathing at hundred percent, but but that's okay, because you're exposed to those chemicals. And your body should be able to do that part as long as you're supporting it from the other side to be able to do that. So I think that there's this, again, not being extreme about it, right? Thinking about it scientifically and understanding that, yeah, our body is, it's, an, it's amazing what it's capable of doing. But unfortunately, mankind has overwhelmed it. So like, we have to take a step back and reduce that burden so that it can continue to do what it needs to do. And and then in the end, you know, we do our part as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great, great suggestions. Um, I think on a personal level, the power does lie with our, um, well, what we can do, like you were mentioning for our bodies and our personal homes and personal care products and what we choose to ingest and things like that, but also the power lies in our wallets. So um, if we do want to affect change on like a larger scale, uh, we need to show the companies like what companies we support with by buying into those companies. So like, you know, B Corps that are like zero emissions or, you know, at least, or like more green companies and like researching what they're doing and how they're uh, lowering emissions or um, basically like using the power of the dollar and choosing and driving the market towards what we want to see more of. Um, So we almost have to be like proactive and take um, like pay higher prices today for those kind of things and invest in our future. So that in the in the future, those are the companies that um, end up setting like a new standard, a new industry standard that everybody strives to um, that basically helps our nature and our environment kind of detox. Also, just like our livers, you know, our, our nature can regenerate and replenish. But if we keep on driving all these um, pollution and waste driven um actions that we've been doing. um, It's hard for nature to undo that quickly enough. So I think if we work together with with the power of our dollar, and with all these uh, support the companies that are trying to affect change on this level, um, I think that's, that's the way to kind of like drive the future and on a more global scale. So obviously as an individual maybe the power of your wallet isn't you know going to make a dent but overall i think you know companies always study habits of what consumers are wanting so overall our little drops in the bucket hopefully will add up over over this next you know couple of years and maybe something will shift you know and i think that power lies in our choices as a consumer
2: yeah, um, no, I totally agree. I mean, something has to change um, and and it, it shouldn't be so hard. That's yeah. what I always say. It shouldn't be so hard. And I think a lot of it starts with just knowledge. So I think, so yes, the power of the dollar, but in addition, spreading awareness uh, because I think my people are not aware. They don't know. And where where we may be embedded in this because we live it and we breathe it and we study it, Um, most people, it's a surprise to them, and they're not aware um, of the impact that's, you know, going on from an environmental standpoint, and how that impacts us and nature and the future. So I think bringing awareness to that is also really key.
1: Yeah, and just the sheer amount of cases that we're seeing uh, of all these diseases, and like, you know, all these functional medicine and alternative approaches and conventional, like, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing with these approaches, which is just improve somebody's health and well being and happiness, um, purpose, and, you know, life, improve their quality of life. But we almost can't do it 100% because of these factors that we can't control that we mentioned. Um, so it's like something does have to change on a global scale for us to be seeing much better results. And that affect much more people um because what we do is like basically individualized work on a one 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 to one case basis and, and then like the education is good too but something does really have to change in order for there to be greater change that affects more people overall um but i want to go back to the education piece for a second and um, i know that you said that you love learning and your family for your family education is very important. And also for pharmacists in general, I feel like we all love learning. And that's why a lot of us are learning all these different modalities as well. Um, but what exactly, why exactly did you want to learn it for yourself when you got a diagnosis rather than go to like doctors or functional medicine experts or anybody else that already m- maybe had that knowledge?
2: Um, I think that just my personality, Um, I need to know, you know, somebody tells me something and it's something new to me. So it was completely not that nutrition was new, but nutrition's impact directly on the development of autoimmune disease or the ability to control it with nutrition was very new to me. And so for that, I'm like, if this is affecting me personally, I need to be the expert. And that's, that's just my personality. So um, I made sure that I became the expert. Um, Yes, there are other experts out there. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't learn it directly for yourself, and then take that on and spread it on beyond yourself to others. Um, You know, I I mean, even I mean, I, I see a functional medicine um, physician now and, you know, we still don't agree on everything, you know? And so that's that's just the way it is. And everybody has their approach. So I had to know, I had to understand what they were telling me too. Um, and so I think that's what I like to do with my page is to just, I, just, I don't provide opinion whatsoever. It's just facts um, and it's based off of studies so that people have them, they can review them and they can take that back to their provider and ask questions, you know, question them um because your your doctor even if they're functionally medicine trained they don't know everything you know and the research is ongoing and it's continuous and so every time a new study pops up i make sure that i'm sending that out there into the universe so people are aware that it's there and it's available and you should educate yourself so you should continuously be learning
1: yeah i really appreciate that so i actually before uh, exploring all the different modalities and um getting my certifications. I actually also had some personal health issues that I would see doctors and even functional medicine doctors too. And um, it's really interesting to me that um, they couldn't get to the root of the problem. And like it took like a lot of trial and error and a lot of different practitioners that were way out of the box um, to kind of like get me on the on the right track. And I think it's like a combination you know of seeking out experts educating yourself and also doing the work yourself so not just hoping like you'll find an expert that will either give you a magic uh, pill or um you know you'll have a magic session with them but just like consistently showing up and doing the work um even if it's hard and even if yeah i think especially if it's hard um, that it means is hard. <laughs> you have to do it because, uh, if it's hard, there's a reason why you're, there's a resistance and uh, you have to explore what that is.
2: Yeah. 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 I, it's going to be hard. It's hard no matter what, right. These are like big changes that you have to make. That's why I said, like up front, you just got to commit to it and then go with it. Um, and know that there will be positive outcome in the end. Um, but yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's, uh, you know, that that's, I think the biggest thing is people think they want to do it. They start and after a month, everyone's like, ah, it's too much work, forget <laughs> it. I'll go back to my pill every day. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and like, for me, I think my approach because of my personal experiences um, is to have all the options, um, to educate yourself on the pros and cons of the options. Um, and then instead of, uh, going for the more extreme thing I I am a proponent of like, do the gentle things first. And then if that doesn't work, then you can consider the more invasive extreme things. Because if you do it the other way around, you don't get a chance to undo it. So I, you know, unless something is like super life or death, you know, threatening that you need some invasive, uh, extreme care right away, I think delaying that option for last is is like a really good plan um because that gives you more time to assess whether or not it's worth it for you to go that route. Yeah
2: no I completely agree. And and unfortunately like social media is good and bad for that. Because um, you know I people complain like oh I I have gut issues and I, I'm gonna do a parasite cleanse. I'm like well hold on what do you eat? You know like what And it's like, you realize it's like, they see something, somebody's story or read a post and like, oh, that's me. I'm gonna go buy all those supplements and I'm gonna do that. But they're eating garbage and they're doing all these things. So it's like, where do, you know, it's just almost providing that direction on where to start is so key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And something that you said earlier too about not knowing what source to trust, that is such a problem nowadays with social media and Google. Like, as much as I love Wikipedia, you know, like, how do you go about trusting not only like what somebody wrote online, but even finding a provider whose viewpoints, you know, you agree with, and um, like, you were even mentioning that sometimes you disagree. So it's like, as a healthcare professional, or as a patient, how do you, you know, find that person that you want to work with, that will really help you heal?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that there's a book, I haven't read it yet, but a friend of mine read it, but it's called The Death of the Expertise. And it's really focused on the fact that anybody can be an expert now in social media. And it doesn't matter if you really have any credentials, because if you say what people want to hear, then that's who they're going to look to for help and support and whatever it may be. And um, it's just it's amazing to me, like, you know, I don't want to call out certain books or people or whatever, but there are, you know, they're not practitioners, but they are people kind of in the space that are providing information. They've written books. And I look at some of these books and I'm like, there's no references, no scientific reference, but millions of people are following and buying and doing and it's just amazing to me that that's where it's sad also, that like that's where we've become um, because, you know, it, not everything is one size fits all and it can do more harm than good in the approach that people take. And so, I mean, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know that we can. <laughs> I think we focus on the environment before we focus on that because I think that's that's quite a lost cause at this point. Yeah. but people just need to be aware of it right you need to look for people's credentials and understand you know like what does it mean to be an expert and you know are people focused on opinions or facts and I think that's key
1: yeah um can you share us like the few top tips that helped you personally with your Hashimoto's um that you you know you found the most had the most impact
2: yeah absolutely um So for me, from a diet standpoint, um, avoiding gluten, dairy, and soy were like the top three allergens that, you know, I needed to eliminate to just kind of reduce that inflammatory process going on. Um, Another was, you know, vitamin D, vitamin D, my vitamin D levels were so low. And we know that vitamin D plays like an intricate role and so much, not just thyroid function, but, um, you know, there's vitamin D receptors all over the body and, um, you know, vast majority of individuals, especially if you live, um, you know, in certain areas, you're deficient. Um, and it doesn't matter how long you in the sun in the summertime, you're going to be deficient, you know, a month later, it doesn't it just doesn't work that way, you know? So vitamin D is a big one, um, diet, uh, sleep. And again, another one, like there's, People, I think, underestimate the importance of getting a good night's sleep and, I mean, eight to nine hours. So like for me personally, I eliminated any TV watching, like I'm in bed by nine um, every night and I, I need that sleep. And when you think about sleep, it's regenerative, right? Like we need it to be able to just regenerate and recover for the day. And that's almost the when we go back to our hormones, it's our body's ability also to kind of our hormones, you know, let let everything kind of relax. And so that when we awake, that our hormones are spiking and we're getting ready for the day and they're all communicating with each other to keep us going. Um, So sleep is so key. Um, You know, I initially, and I never thought that yoga would have such an effect, Um, but doing yoga three times a week. And unfortunately with the pandemic, I had to like, couldn't go to the studio. I get it in when I can't hope it's it's just not the same. So it's sad, but, um, I was actually saw a reduction in my antibody levels after starting yoga consistently, um, which was like a shock to me. And I was like, Oh, wow. And, and there are so many studies out there that support meditation and yoga and actually have a direct impact on reducing inflammatory cytokines, um, you know, within the body. So just recognizing that and like kind of just calmly relaxing that breath you know kind of like low, turning off your nervous system to just relax and calm down um that's key um so what did i talk about so i'll include that in exercise diet vitamin d is a big one um what else did i say no i can't remember oh sleep sleep is sleep is huge um yeah, I think those, those are kind of the main, you know, I mean, it's a lot for somebody to take in. I mean, there's so much more. I, I take other supplements too, but like I could go on and on and on, um, but just understanding what nutrient deficiencies impact thyroid health and, um, you know, checking levels to make sure to see where you're at, see where you're deficient. Um, you know, eliminating as much as you can, those environmental toxins, I don't eat processed foods, hardly at all. I mean, if I go to the grocery store, like 90% of the food goes in the refrigerator, um, you know, things like that, like those are kind of like simple, no, no, I mean, they're hard for some people. Right. But to me, they're like, have now become the norm. It's just normal. I can't even get myself to buy certain things, you know? And even if I, like, I, I'll see, you know, the line outside of McDonald's or whatever. And I just I look at it and it's not to judge anybody, but like now that I know so much about what's in these foods and the chemicals and what they actually do to the body, like I can't even imagine hurting my body that way. Um it's just I can't do it. Like, I can't even fathom it. So I think you can get to that point and you get to that point when you understand and when you have more knowledge. And so that's really why I went back to school. And that's why I try to push people to learn and to understand and to give them the facts because I've learned that when I'm providing, um, you know, patient consults or whatever it is, counseling, if people actually understand the why behind it, then they're more likely to commit to it. And so if you just tell somebody to do something, yeah, yeah, whatever. But let me tell you why you need to do it. That's when you get somebody to actually commit to it. And so that's what I try to do. And that's what I've done for myself and how I've been able to be so successful in committing to this kind of lifestyle. You know, because some people say, oh, it's so hard. How do you do that? You know, and then the other rule I try to tell people is just focus on an 80-20. You know, like you don't have to be 100%, but try to do it 80% of the time and, you'll
1: be good. Yeah, I love that advice. Um, You know, know, the 80-20 especially is so good because you don't have to be so strict on yourself because sometimes you just you like can drive yourself crazy and spike yeah. your sympathetic tone even more and like get, you know, your adrenaline flowing. If you're guilty, feeling guilty or, um, you know, feeling ashamed of yourself or judging yourself and, you know, you're making it even worse than if you had just like relaxed and just like allowed yourself this, whatever exception to the rule. Um, so like, I think it's called orthorexia, right? If somebody's just like wants to be, properly you know taking care of themselves or eating a certain way all the time and then that could just drive us crazy so focusing on just the things that you can control and even allowing some wiggle room to to make mistakes or to go outside the box is is okay so it's like human to do that you can't be a robot (laughs) absolutely giving yourself a little grace Um, even with with the right protocol is nice. Um, And then the sleep, I so agree too. I think I keep trying to go to sleep at nine. And this week, I actually went to sleep at nine once. And it was such a great night. (laughs) The next day was way better than than it was um, when I don't go to sleep at nine. So it's definitely sounds simple. And people are like, Really? I'm paying for your console for you to tell me to like go to sleep earlier. But I mean, it works. And it does reset you and regenerate allows your organs to properly get ready and reset for the next day. Because if you're overburdening them and making them work at hours when they're not supposed to be because we are creatures of rhythm. And we have cycles of like you were saying, the spikes have to spike at a certain way, um, and then they have to fall at a certain way. And if we just mess them up with TV and and blue light and um, activities at different times that our body doesn't naturally like tend to do it at that time, then we will kind of mess with our hormones. And as you were saying, hormones are super sensitive. So it's like, they have to be at the exact proper, um, you know, proportions and levels. And even just like messing them up a little bit is actually going to wreak havoc havoc on your body. So it's super important. And vitamin D, as you mentioned, it almost is like a hormone, you know, the structure is super similar to a hormonal structure, um, like a steroid. And so it kind of plays that role. Like, even though we call it a vitamin, it actually functions like this messenger and a cofactor in so many things that we're just recently like uncovering and learning about. Um, in my own practice, I really focus on gut health for any kind of autoimmune, um, you know, dysfunction or, or any kind of immune things, period. So is that something that you found um, with I know you mentioned eliminating triggers and inflammatory foods, but what else do you do to support the gut?
2: Yeah, yeah, gut health is obviously huge. Um, I'm actually right now creating a gut healing protocol, um, utilizing, eliminating inflammatory foods, but also utilizing certain supplements to regenerate that the, you know, your gut cell lining quicker um, and probiotics being a key, um, obviously in that. So, yes, I recommend everybody on a probiotic, but the key with a probiotic is also identifying the right probiotic, um, for what you're trying to, to, you know, a high quality probiotic. Um, but at the same time, you have to recognize that you really can't ever get off a probiotic. So most studies with probiotics show that once you stop them, then you know, they don't permanently um, re-inoculate the gut. So it's kind of a staple to be on. And unfortunately we've been on years and years of antibiotics and different exposures. And we've, we've also permanently altered our gut, you know, in a certain way. And so it's almost like, okay, you have to kind of get on a probiotic and even prebiotics, right? So focusing in on the foods that feed that bacteria to help it grow. Um, You know, those are obviously key when we relate to gut health. Um, you know, there's other you know supplements and measures that can be done, obviously patient specific, but um a probiotic is pretty staple, right? Like that we should take from an immune standpoint too, right? So we know that 70% of our immune system starts in the gut. So um if we're putting in garbage and we're not giving it what it needs and it doesn't have that healthy bacteria to flourish, then the output is going to be negative, right? So it's just what you get in what you you get out what you put in. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know. And I always find it so interesting with the probiotics that what is it that makes us as a host, you know, not be able to kind of like make that species viable again? Like, why do we need to yeah. keep ingesting it and why can't it find a permanent home because you know bacteria could just multiply and grow and stuff like that so it's very interesting like I think the next focus should be like how do we create such a hospitable environment for the beneficial organisms so they actually like want to stay there and uh, we don't have to keep on re-inoculating all the time so um I would love to to hear more studies and data on that for sure
2: yeah I think a big focus right now is on like fecal transplants and that's really the only way you can permanently reinoculate, which who knows, that could be wide, more widely available in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like that is showing great results. Obviously I think it needs to be done in a very like uh, lab environment with like everything else being sterile because a lot of things can go wrong, but, um, and it does sound crazy, but it's giving us great results because yeah. it's like instead of isolating things and um putting it down your whole you know acidic tract it's actually going to the direction where it's much closer to your colon and then it's giving you like everything broad, broad spectrum that already exists in another like healthy individual so it is a much more holistic way to approach it, but it, it's, um, you know, not everybody will will uh, yeah. want to do it that way. <laughs> well,
2: it's not widely available either, right? Like we can't all just go do that.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if you just have like one more minute left, I have a few rapid rounds questions for you. Sure. Okay. So number one, what's your number one advice for someone to improve their quality of life? Uh, Just
2: have a positive outlook. So it doesn't have to be perceived negatively, like you can take something negative, make it positive, and you'll see a positive outcome in the
1: end. Yeah, Um, something that you said before, it's like, no matter what, commit to something and it will turn out good. Um, I love that mindset. And I think, like, just know that even if it doesn't give you 100% results, at least you'll learn from it. And it's just going to be a lesson to how you can get to your result. Mm -hmm. All right. um, Number two, what is your favorite hobby?
2: Oh, um, (laughs) you know, I love running. Um, I'm a runner. So that's something that I people are surprised by. I enjoy doing but overall exercise in general. um, That's my thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and yoga. So (laughs) all good places. All right. And uh, number three, what's your favorite beverage? Water. Water. All day water. I actually have water here too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Lots of water. Water and tea. And now I've I've got one of my New Year's resolution was to drink more tea. So I have accomplished that this year. I drink a lot of tea now too, but water for sure.
1: Nice. Awesome. All right. And finally, uh, please tell the listeners how they can find you, get in touch with you, and keep in touch with you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on both Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Autoimmune Girl. Um, also have a website, Dr. Autoimmune where I also link other podcasts I've been on with different topics. Um, I have a blog on there and you can sign up for upcoming newsletter that I'm developing um, and just stay in the know of, um, you know, future developments and things that I'll share um, that will help you
1: take control of your health. Awesome, well thank you so much for sharing with us and I look forward to keeping in touch. Great, thanks so much for having me. All right, bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Raw Fork Podcast and I truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you learned something new from it, I would really appreciate if you can give us a five-star rating and a sincere review so that more people can find it across the podcast platforms. To get in touch with me, please go on rawfork.com or email me directly at marina at rawfork.com. Take good care and I'll see you back here next week.